From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Good morning. It's Wednesday, March 2nd. You're listening to a special State of the Union edition of uh, HPS Podcast. This is Tony Fratto with Hamilton Place Strategies. We have two of our terrific managing directors with us uh, today, Kristen McIntosh and Jonathan Graffio. Guys, welcome. Uh, really glad you could join for the podcast uh, this morning after... Uh, you know, after a late night last night, uh, watching watching a State of the Union address, I actually I had a later night than you guys. I think I had to get up at I had to do a, a CNBC Europe hit at one ten a.m. So, <laughs> so you just stayed up all night, much, Yeah, not working on too much sleep right now, but uh, but, but uh, look, my uh, you know, so, well, just a couple observations. One is, you know, just. A March State of the Union address. Right? I mean, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but State of the Union address used to used to be back in January. You know, oh, they used to be January yes. events, <laughs> and they just keep getting pushed out. I mean, at this rate, it won't be long before we're you know uh, you know putting it off until summer. You know, uh, it'll be but, a year end report, perhaps, or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the mid year check in. <laughs> Yeah. Of the union, yeah, uh, it was a spirited speech. I thought by uh, you know by uh, by Biden. You know, I mean, he came in with a lot of uh, energy. He looked good. This was the first uh, time that uh, you know in two years now that they've been maskless on the floor. So it looked uh, you know it looked pretty normal. Uh, you saw a lot of outpouring of support for uh, for Ukraine um, uh, with you know people wearing. Blue and uh, yellow, the colors of the Ukrainian flag or uh, ribbons, and and so uh, and he chose to put that at the top of the speech, which I think everyone expected. In fact, what everyone was longing for, uh, you know, I think the, it's been a long time since we had real unity on the House floor for a State of the Union address, and uh, I think the people who came, most of the people came into that room were looking for the opportunity to cheer. So I think he was spirited. Uh, maybe a little too spirited. I thought he like when he ran pretty quickly through the top of that speech on the Russia-Ukraine parts, where I I just felt like on the deli- the words were all great, the message the message was terrific. He had something to talk about in terms of the rebuilding of the uh, the transatlantic alliance. It felt for someone my age felt very normal uh, to see a president there talking about the partnership with uh, with Europe and fighting a common foe and one foe in particular, uh, Russia. So for a Gen Xer like me, that like that felt very comfortable. Um, but I think he could have milked the crowd, you know, milked it a little bit for some of the, the longer applause lines and really let people show their support. And he kind of blew through those moments a little bit. But it was a, um, had a you know, it, it had all the elements of a standard State of the Union address but not really grand plans or new, you know, new programs. You know, Kristen, what did you think? I really liked uh, President Biden's energy last night. I, I just, I really thought he was strong in a lot of his delivery um, throughout the evening. I think he did a great job trying to reassure the American people in a very comforting way. Um, he really kind of reestablished and reset, I think, the essence of of the Biden presidency and, and what we've come to know of Joe Biden um, with his decades in public service. I thought he was empathetic. I thought he had a great connection with the middle class. Um, and it was a good reminder of his strength. And I think the administration strength 
on a number of different fronts. And I think he did a great job of trying to communicate to a number of audiences, everyone from Vladimir Putin himself, you know, to the EU and, and the world stage, to people back in Scranton, PA and in Pittsburgh and every place in between. And so kind of that explainer in chief um, was really necessary last night. And I, I thought he did a good job walking through the rationale, the motivation for our continued engagement and, and the escalation overseas and also some of the domestic priorities too. So I, I really enjoyed watching it and it, it genuinely held my attention um, for the duration of the evening. Yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. I thought, I thought he hit the mark with, uh, you know, rose to the expectations. Expectations are such a tricky thing with the state of the union. You know, administrations are always trying to tamp down the expectations. Um, and then, you know, I thought Biden's delivery was pretty good. I thought he came through well. Uh, the the things that struck me is kind of the the back and forth with the game that he played with corporations, where it was like mm-hmm. patting him on the back on with one hand and then smacking him upside the head with the other. Whether it was you know patting him on the on the back with Intel or the car manufacturers with electric vehicles and then smacking him upside the head with uh, you know that. Usual claims of tax evasion. Populist pieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Populist pieces on antitrust and, and price. I mean, essentially calling, you know, price gouging on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I don't know if people heard a lot that was going to comfort them on inflation. I, I saw David Axelrod say, you know, it felt kind of like a drive-by last night, and he was questioning whether whether it was effective or not. But, but I mean, Tony, you know this well. Inflation – once it gets out of, you know, once it starts to become rampant, there's only so much you can do policy-wise to rein it back in. So curious what you thought on how he handled inflation. I agree. Look, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, you know, Kristen's, Kristen's point on, um, you know, on Biden's ability to uh, to connect on, um, you know, with feeling on on the things that he's talking about is, you know, he's, it's pretty unique that way. It's just, it is one of his strengths. So even you know when he's talking about, you know, Russia and Ukraine and uh, the uh, the the mission there, he does it from a, in a very personal, you know, you know, personal way. His words mean you can tell they mean something to him. Yeah. The domestic programs that he talks about, he he has a lot of meaning and feeling uh, uh, to it, and. Uh, uh, and, and you can, you know, you can tell that it's per, you know, those things are personal for him. It, it, it's just that that's a quality. That's the everyman quality that he has. And it comes through when he speaks. But they're flailing on on inflation. Inflation is just really hard because th- there are no easy answers uh, on in, on inflation. The few things that that he can talk about to do something about inflation they don't really ring true, and I'll just say it as you know, put my my economist hat on and say like th- these aren't things that are, you know, the corporations aren't causing inflation, and it's not, you know, it was just by chance just this morning as I was you know up early running through things and found a paper by the Bank of England that happened to just come out this morning about you know shipping rates. Yep. And so yeah, so I'm, I'm the guy that guy's up at you know early morning reading papers on <laughs> shipping rates, but it was. Um, but it was it was uh, timely because the president mentioned it last night of the you know going after the you know the, the, this notion that the the shipping companies are concentrated and that's why your shipping costs are are going up. Well, you know we've had, doesn't you know, we've had three shipping major shipping companies for a very very long time 
And, you know, uh, it's not obvious why at this moment they should decide to collude and raise prices. And, of course, the paper I happened to read last night, should, you know, didn't, uh, you know, didn't show that either. So it's, you know, it's tough for them on inflation. It's hard for him to show his emotion on inflation because then it begs the question, well, what are you going to do about it? And it's largely a question for the Fed and Jay Powell and not much that the president can do about it, except for, you know, to take away the tariffs um, that are still out there. That would do something very quickly, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, I thought it, it, there's only so much you can do on on fiscal policy. And it was interesting that he tried to essentially say that, that the way that you combat inflation is to lower costs. And, oh, by the way, you do that through passing Build Back Better and all these policy prescriptions. So mm-hmm. he, he tried to thread that needle. Um, I I don't know if you watched uh, Governor Reynolds' response to it, but but she popped that pretty good. I thought where you know I think the average person looks at inflation and looks at government spend government spending, and it's like you've already spent trillions and trillions over the last couple of years, and the answer to inflation is more spending. I, I think that probably yeah. strikes most people as odd. Yeah, whether it's look, and, and of course he has a ta- you know tax increases in there also, so that's where he says it's paid for and balanced and won't mm-hmm. and won't add to inflation. But you're right that the Republicans have a, an easy message uh, on on inflation, and and they don't have to get into details about it. It's like the kinds of things that the way they talk about it tend to sort of you know ring ring true. Kristen, I want to ask you about um, about the president's domestic agenda. Yeah. And, you know, there I didn't expect I don't know if you did, but I I didn't really expect anything, you know, any new program. We hadn't gotten hints in, you know, in the the days uh, leading up to the uh, to the speech that there might be some, you know, big new initiative um, from the administration. And so uh, and because they have so much left undone, just just within, uh, you know, Build Back Better, they've got accomplishments to talk about, which I think he did to effect, you know, talking about the you know job creation and and the American Recovery Act shortening the impact from uh, from COVID. Uh, so I thought he was able to do that, um, but wasn't looking for new big programs. But I thought that he may present some kind of message or a strategy to both the Democratic Caucus and the American people to take some elements of um, of Build Back Better and try to push them through. And we didn't see that either. He did talk about each of the elements of Build Back Better, uh, but we didn't see a real rhetorical push of how to get them done uh, because the math hasn't changed yet in the Senate. Sure. So I think there were two things. One, I really appreciated his emphasis on Buy American. I thought that was great. It was a nice unifying force. I believe they were USA, USA chance. And I thought he did a good job of humanizing it. He had the, you know, I believe it was a United Steelworkers Union representative from Pennsylvania. Yeah. He had the Intel CEO talking about the 10,000 jobs coming right outside of Columbus, Ohio. And tying that back to the bipartisan infrastructure legislation where so much funding has been invested in there will soon be, you know, shovels hit breaking ground, ideally, in the months ahead on a number of these pro- projects. So I do think that is a great way to speak to some of the fiscal policy and to provide hope. And ideally, it, it would be a unifying um, policy agenda. And, and I think there's a lot of 
opportunity to to build that out in the year ahead. So I do think that is part of the economic agenda, um, the Buy American, and I thought he did a great job of really highlighting that and using that. Um, in terms of the Build Back Better, there was definitely lots of discussion, certainly about some of the um, components of it, particularly with the care agenda, child care, he talked about health care costs. So um, I think it was a, a great signal that he still believes in these. They haven't been abandoned. But it was, I, I think it was strategic that he chose not to frame it exclusively under Build Back Better and just talk yeah, about the policies themselves. Because I, I think that was part of the challenge. The, the packages were large. And I think in some of the political debates, it was easy to lose track of the different components, many of which poll very highly. There's a lot of strong public support and some of these programs across the aisle. Um, and when it was wrapped into this uh, political intrigue of, you know, build back better, who's with it, who's against it, a lot of the substance and the meat of those programs was lost. So I thought in some ways by him just naming them, um, you know, child care, health care and elder care and all of these things that are important and resonate with so many Americans. I actually thought that was really smart and, and enjoyed that. And it spoke to, I think, his base and again was a great signal that he's, he's still committed to those. Um, and obviously voting rights, it was great that he mentioned that too. That's been a huge issue, concerns about voter suppression, um, particularly as we are engaging overseas and defending freedom and defending democracy. I think it was an important uh, signal to a lot of folks back home that you know yeah. he's still committed to trying to eradicate any efforts to suppress voters here in the U.S. as well, even if that legislation hasn't been able to make through Congress successfully yet. So I thought with the domestic agenda, he certainly referenced a number of things. I think what I suspect was probably extraordinarily stressful for the White House speech writing team um, and having to add in, you know, probably the last week or two, a whole section on Ukraine. He probably wasn't able to spend as much time on some of the other domestic policy priorities as he might have, you know, initially planned to. But I think that's just the realities of, of the job. Um, that things yeah, I kind of wondered about that a little bit. Yeah, it, look, I mean, uh, you know, having been in the White House for, for a few State of the Union addresses, they're, um, you, you know, they, boy, it's tough to keep them uh, tight and, uh, and, and, and focused, either thematically or even or, or compositionally, you know, it's just like really, really tough because you have a steady parade of, you know, every agency, department secretary coming at you with a reason why the president just needs to mention this one thing. Members of Congress, like, can you just mention this one thing in the speech? You know, can the president just mention this other thing? It's going to show that it's important. How, how could he say it's important if it's if he doesn't mention the State of the Union address? So the sort of they, they kind of become Frankenstein monsters. And uh, and for and to Krista, to your point. For speechwriters, we've known speechwriters across different um, different administrations, and they love the challenge of a State of the Union address. But man, boy, that's just really hard to make them satisfying because there's this there's just too much packed in there. It's hard to keep it uh, keep it focused. I thought there was a little bit of that this this year too because they had to top it with the with the um, uh, the Russia Ukraine stuff, which was exactly the right thing to do and appropriate. It wasn't particularly long, though. You know, I mean, you know, I, I worked for President Bush. His speeches were always he he never had a State of the Union that uh, exceeded an hour. They were all fifty five minutes or shorter. And some because uh, you know, one would think it was a thirty five minute State of the Union address. Uh, and you know, so he was always kind of speedy that way. Uh, Clintons were longer. Obamas were longer. Trump's were something had had. You know, I think Obama. I'm sorry, Clinton and and um, 
Trump had by far the longest uh, State of the Union addresses. I think of, of the seven longest State of the Unions, they hold all seven spots. Uh, so, you know, Obama was pretty efficient. Bush was very efficient. I thought, I thought Biden was pretty efficient yesterday. He didn't keep us, you know, he didn't keep us too long. You get to like an hour and twenty minutes. It's it's a little too much. It's just too much. I heard sixty two minutes was the was what yeah. I clocked in at, which was that's reasonable. what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, very reasonable. It was just yeah. enough. Yeah, I, it left me wanting maybe a little bit more, but I wasn't ready. You know, hoping it would wind down soon. I think it was just just enough content. I think it was the right amount of time, and it was nice to seeing him afterwards spend so much time working the crowd and, and talking to the members of Congress. And we just we haven't seen those images in a year or two, um, so that was nice to see too. Yeah, it's kind of uh, you know you know just in terms of uh, you know how long it's been. It was exactly uh, almost exactly two years ago. Um, yeah, March, so today's March 2nd, March 3rd of 2020 was uh, Super Tuesday. And that was the day that um, uh, Jay Powell surprised everyone with an intermediate rate cut, um, surprise rate cut. And to me, in a lot of ways, kind of kicked off the, the significant COVID response uh, uh, efforts. And, you know, by clearly by that time, uh, you know, March 3rd, we were starting, you know, uh, Masks, lockdowns were yet to come. Um, the the the, uh, the size of what would be COVID response. This is not, it's almost breathtaking to think about. Started with uh, graph. You were there, right? I mean, it's like oh, yeah. started with a, a bill of a, like eight and a half billion dollars. It soon went to one point two billion, and then became two point four billion it, like overnight, right? It just doubled the numbers. And um, oh you know, yeah, for I remember the the, uh, the first funding request from the administration was was literally like 1.5 billion dollars yep and then and then quick yeah and then everybody said yep yeah and there was not a whole lot of math or you know of uh, analysis on this they just said that's not big enough double it and it doubled like overnight they just like everyone agreed to double it and it was uh really really amazing but that was two years ago and it's been a long two years and to Kristen's you know Kristen's point like we had not seen uh, you know, maskless people doing a, a normal thing on uh, on television. So it was so it was good to see that there was a lot of familiar, you know, a lot of what was familiar uh, to us who've been watching these things uh, that we saw last night. I thought, yeah, I, I, one thing that struck me, I thought Biden did a pretty good job in acknowledging and being honest about people just being exhausted out yes. there from the yeah. last couple of years and uh, through COVID and economic hardship, those types of things, but without coming across too much Jimmy Carter-ish and, you know, being too down, in other words. I thought he did a pretty good job in balancing the tone there. And, you know, he ended it by saying the state of our union is strong because you, the American people, are strong. I thought that was pretty clever. That was a good way to thread the needle there Um, because, you know, it's – it has been. People are exhausted over the last couple of years, but you have to you have to show hope too. Yeah, he said those words. I think he said, "You're tired. You're exhausted. You're frustrated. Yeah. I'm just tired of the malaise." And um, it was great. I think he preempted what they may have been anticipating critiques of, of you know discussing. Um, well, in the response, um, I think the governor was you know 
talking about masks and kids and schools being closed and work and whatnot. And I think I feel like the Biden team kind of was anticipating that. And he was able to get out ahead of that in his remarks with I want kids in schools and downtown should be full again and vibrant again and people should be at work. So I think they were trying to head off some of that that critique. Yeah. Um, And Governor Reynolds, actually, I I think you're right, because she came out of the gate and the first thing she did was try and paint the current situation like it was in the late 70s and the early 80s with inflation on the rise, the Soviets, uh, you know, Soviet aggression, mm-hmm. um, and crime throughout the country. Yeah. So she, she tried to yeah. to put him in that Jimmy Carter box. And, of course, they, they anticipated that at the White House and mm-hmm. tried to find a way out of that. And the fund police yeah, as well. Yeah, he, and the fund police, they were ready for that. And so it was bold. It got the bipartisan support. And he was able to do it in a way that I think was authentic to the Democratic Party. Even here at HPS, you know, we had, we've, we've worked on some of these community violence intervention. We've had clients in the nonprofit sector who've been focused on those issues in the past. And so the yeah. administration has been supporting that and committed funds that over a year ago. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, a flip-flop or a strong reversal uh, with, with, you know, the defund the police argument. And people have certainly have different opinions on that. But I thought Biden, you know, did a good job of threading that needle. And he can point to the administration's work on um, engaging co- local communities and policing and, and the support that they've um, had for that for over a year. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a good, uh, that was a good moment for him. I thought the, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, infrastructure, Chris, and, uh, you know, one one of the better lines of the speech was, uh, you know, we used to talk about infrastructure week and, you know, now we're talking about an infrastructure decade. I thought that was an effective line. I, uh, I I completely disagree with the, the buy America policy, but, but that was effective for him. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it was effective, not just in the room, but also, on some of the uh, the dial test mm-hmm. polling um, that, that was going on during the speech, it, you know, it, it you know we know it polls really really well and. Uh, people liked it, uh, however much I dislike it. <laughs> but Tony, if yeah. I may, there's a. <laughs> I think what's good yeah. about the Buy America piece, though, is that with the bipartisan infrastructure legislation and that the great investment, it's not just empty words, as a lot of that so often has been over the last few decades, I think with both parties, you know, it's been. And a that's nice my fear. Solution. But now. Kristen, that's, my, that's my concern. Is I wish it was just empty words. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's coming. It's literally, to me, it's like you're using an anti-inflation, anti-inflation you know, buy America for an anti-inflation message when it literally raises the cost of all the things that we're buying for infrastructure. It's the opposite. So anyway, we'll do, we'll have a separate, we'll, yeah. we're going to do a separate podcast <laughs> debate. <laughs> debated by America. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. But the, look, the speech itself, I thought it, I thought he hit the marks. I thought it was, um, it was, you know, it was, he did what he needed to do on, um, uh, on uh, Russia, Ukraine. That was really important. That was a unity part. Um, the, um, you know, the, the, you know, the populist pieces, he hit his marks on them. And, um, and I don't think even, even though he ran through the things that, that really, really do appeal to uh, you know, Democrats and progressives uh, on the on the domestic agenda. I didn't get a sense that it was you know really antagonistic in ways that you know kinds of things that poked Republicans in the eye. Yeah, and that's not really his uh, style so much. So I, I thought, look, I, I thought it was a it was a solid say the union address. It was uh, you know there was nothing to not much to really poke uh, to poke at it. 
um, except for, you know, if you were looking for a grand strategy or a grand new program, those are the things you didn't get. But he's got a he's got a full agenda ahead of him for, for the next this year. And they're going to be, you know, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned the um, Republican response. I think we got the, you know, the rhetorical playbook for Democrats last night. You know, we saw the rhetorical playbook for Republicans last night, too, in the oh, response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The messaging is set, and now we're going to see over the year, you know, over the coming year, what they can get done and uh, and how effective that they deliver that messaging um, as we head into midterms. Yeah, definite preview for the midterms with the messaging there. I think you're 100 percent right. That's uh, we'll see how it plays out, but we we know what they're both what both sides are going to be saying. Yeah, great. Hey guys, thanks for uh, thanks for getting up to to do the uh, to, you know to do the post State of the Union. Um, show God, no That's problem sounds good. like you're the one that needs some sleep i know Tony. <laughs> i'll get it eventually i'll get it eventually uh we appreciate it uh thanks guys uh we'll have a have a terrific rest of the week all right thank you, Tony. thanks tony thanks everyone thank you for listening to the hps insights podcast produced by hamilton place strategies for the latest updates follow us on twitter at hps insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com